special veterans day episode uh that is the anthem for the army and uh will is now saying he had nothing to do with that because that's mostly a dig on the air force because he didn't know that was coming wow (laughs) i was getting some looks from backstage (laughs) anyways we've got a very special episode for you this evening this is not a real libertarian podcast Roll intro. special guest this evening uh someone who is a prior service vet himself from the greatest branch of the u.s military the u.s army um but we've got some average we gotta do we gotta knock out the good stuff to get into the meat and potatoes so we've got tom 52.com that's t-o-m-f-o-r-5-2.com that's tom 52 tom is running for state senate in New York, uh, he runs better than the government, even though his legs are pretty much uh, like the Federal Reserve. They're useless and mean nothing. Uh, find us on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Twitter, Anchor, and Spotify. Um, anywhere is pretty much better than Facebook at this point. We are inevitably going to be super nuked off the platform at some point. Um so follow us on YouTube, uh, hit the subscribe button, hit the like, do all the things, share the video around, comment, do those things. It helps us out. We've got Crowned by Gold, book three of the Royal Green series. We are contractually obligated to say it's a good book, uh, but fuck Jack Casey. Uh, the Alaskan Raven, for all you meme needs on Facebook, go find The Alaskan Raven. And then... <clears throat> the largest libertarian veterans caucus that i know of uh 
Delphi Veterans Caucus uh, for veteran issues and caucus. Uh, go check out LP Veterans Caucus. We've got Greasy Porcupines, a uh, mobile auto repair service for all automotive repair needs. It's a voluntary solution to automotive repair. Go to greasyporcupines.org to find out more. And Redemption Tactical, use that link right sure. That's our special super secret squirrel link. Uh, use that thing. Helps us out. Also, this one, bam, sheetsforsenate.com. Steve Sheets for U.S. Senate. So, all right. So, as as it was in written in history, first came Army, and I will birth you, the Air Force, my co-host and good friend, Mr. William Darty. <laughs> The good thing is, after that shitty fucking YouTube Army Lyric video, our show absolutely can't get worse from here. So at least we got that out of the way. Thank you for putting it at least at the beginning. And uh, for letting me know that it was going to be there for sure. Appreciate that. (laughs) Well, if I had told you, you would have had opposition, right? Uh, For sure. I would have had very strong opposition. I feel like I need to salute the flag and shit now. Like I feel really weird about myself. This is a libertarian podcast, damn it. And at least be fair. I mean, come on. You mean play the the Navy one? Um, you know what? The Navy does have the best song. I'll give them that. But no, let's just let's just never do that again, and we'll just put it behind us. <laughs> well, I was actually going to play uh, "In the Navy" by the Village People. <laughs> That's really a song. That's a thing. It makes sense. Yeah. In the Navy, you've never heard that song? I've never heard that song. I only know one song by the Village People, and I'm sure you can guess YMCA. what that is. Yes. Uh, here, but anyway, I'll, I'll forgive you. We can rebuild our relationship going forward. But that was that was just terrible. So just I hope you don't sleep all the night. I probably won't. I don't think that you usually sense. do. No, no, I usually don't. I sleep. Uh... Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. <laughs> You've never heard of the village the, the in the Navy here. Hold on. I can't I can't let that slide. Oh, no. I mean, I can already imply what it's about, you know, considering I know the village people and I know the Navy, and you put those two things together, it's a perfect match. All right, I see nothing inaccurate yet. This is pretty much exactly what Navy parties that I've been to are like, so. <laughs> which which part was accurate, the, the, the Indian or the construction worker? All of it, all of it. The, the fabulousness of it all. It's all it's all just like that. Our poor guest. Seriously. Well, that's okay. I'll get you back now. I have control of this, so I'm going to put some weird ass video at the front of the next uh, podcast we do. You'll see; it'll be great. That'd be yeah, the that's not going for Jenny. <laughs> Jenny knows she was in the Navy. Is it inaccurate though, Jenny? Is that inaccurate at all? Anyway, let's let's get on with the good stuff. Yeah, let's let's find let's find our guest here. He uh, our poor poor guest. What an opening uh, for him. To, to be fair, every week it's our poor guest. Touche, Mister Steve Sheets. How are you doing today, sir? Well, that was interesting. <laughs> As someone who grew up in um, in the era where the village people were, you know, relatively new, 
Um, well, uh, I kind of wish we left it back in the um, 70s and early 80s where they belong. Just saying. <laughs> Were they, like, popular? Like, would that have been on MTV? Um, briefly. They, they were popular for about 10 minutes. Hmm. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and what did you do in the Army? I was, uh, well, you're going you're gonna to say this was uh, a huge oxymoron, but I was in military intelligence. And um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I beat you with the punch there. But um, no, it was, uh, it was really interesting. I was, a, uh, I was an intelligence analyst for most of the military career. And um, for, I guess, about a third of it, I worked with the civil affairs unit. My job was, huh. for them, um, helping them figure out what they were going to be getting into once they arrived on scene in the country. Um, most of them were uh, infrastructure engineers, doctors, lawyers, and basically what would happen is they would go into places where we blew everything up and they would start putting things back together again. And um, huh. most of the uh, most of the area of interest was in the Caribbean, and they were dealing with the aftermath of various hurricanes that came by. Uh, one of the guys that was involved. He really, really liked going to St. Kitts because he went there all the time because he always got hit with something. Yeah, very cool. But um, I helped them when they were going to Bosnia. Um, I helped them when they were going to a, a bunch of different places. But uh, no, it was it was it was really interesting. And another another aspect of the job was handling everybody's security clearances because I was the only one who had you know who had the proper credentials to make that happen. So it was good. I'm curious how serious that process is. Now, I know with top secret, it's pretty lengthy, but I had a secret security clearance. And all I can say, if they would have done even a remote light digging into my past, they would have denied it. And they still gave it to me after interviewing me. So how much actually goes into that process? Generally, they um, they look into your into your records, anything that's in print, you know, anything that's um, that's – yeah, you know, like, uh, speeding tickets. They look at your criminal history. Um, you know, if, if there's certain things like speeding tickets, they don't really care. You know, they're they're looking for things that might say, you know, this this guy is going to be a legitimate a legitimate problem. Like um, if you were stealing things, for example, you know, they wouldn't give you they wouldn't give you clearance at that point. Sure, or at least yeah, if they, they find out about it, they would. Yeah, the government doesn't like the competition. That one. Damn right. <laughs> no, um, top secret is pretty, uh, is pretty brutal. They, they come by and they interview people that you work with. They interview friends, they interview family, they interview people who only met like for five minutes. <laughs> Ask questions about what they think of you. Uh, it's, it's fun. They also send you through a polygraph and all kinds of other things. So that, that was, that was interesting. That was done with the military in the, um, in 1996. So uh, when I was in active duty, um, they sent me over to Germany, and I went over to Germany when the wall fell, like literally a month before the wall fell, um, I went to Germany. And then um, I was also over there for a desert storm. So that was a um, some unique part of history, you know, working through all that. And that was uh, that was just really neat. Then um, after I got it out and got in the reserves, that was when I went to uh, train for intelligence analysis and that was at Fort Devens 
And anybody who's ever been up there will tell you that's just a really amazing, uh, amazing place to go. Where is it? Uh, it's up in Massachusetts. Huh. Okay. When I was up there, I was up there in July and August. Being up in Massachusetts in August is just a really nice time to be there. It feels cool, you know, like September or in Pennsylvania or September, you know, in this. I don't even know where you guys are. You know, you guys. You know, <laughs> Tennessee, Oklahoma. Okay, Tennessee and Oklahoma. Um, as far as as far as climate goes, you probably wouldn't. I, I, I couldn't really tell you something to compare it to. Huh. Um, Tennessee, okay, yeah. probably like late October. That seems uh, about accurate. I think I think the Northeast and New England is pretty much two two months ahead of everybody in our latitude. That is that's based on going down to visit my mom in Georgia, you know, and she she's up in northern Georgia, like, but right in central. And okay. um, yeah, so she's a little bit south of, of Tennessee, but you know, I, I'm I'm guessing. Near the smoky so, so when did you become a libertarian after service and how did you kind of reconcile? Cause we're all veterans on here. So we've all had to go through this mental process. How did you reconcile that? And uh, you know, how did that change your view of the things that you did? All right. So um, my, uh, my trip to libertarianism started in the eighties cause there was this dude on the radio uh, named Irv Homer and he talked a lot. Uh, about the issues and the things that he was saying, uh, it bore no resemblance to what anybody else was saying. And I said, what is this guy? And then he started talking libertarian, you know, the word libertarian. And he had, uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the move incident in Philadelphia where the mayor bombed out a city block. No, it, it was interesting. These, uh, these people, they called themselves the move movement. Uh, it was on Osage Avenue. And um, anyway, the uh, the mayor at the time literally dropped a bomb on the uh, on the area to get them to come out, and he really didn't have to do it, but he did it anyway. And you know, a lot of these, a lot of them still they survived, and it was fine. But they went through they went through a lot. Now, bear in mind, this was in the mid '80s when this happened. These houses that were being rebuilt by you know, the Philadelphia government are still not right to this day. Wow. And they spent over a million dollars a house to rebuild them. Hmm. And you want to talk about government fraud, waste and abuse that was going on for, well, ever since. And I thought like three or four years later, as they were talking about it, God, you're still talking about this now. You know, this is like still a thing now, but yeah, it really was, you know, um, I, I, uh, I joined the uh, military basically because I didn't feel like, <sighs> you know, when, when you start looking at your, at your future and you arrive at the conclusion that if you go to college and you try to go to college, you know, you're going to fail out because you're not going to be there paying attention because you don't want to be there in the first place. Yeah. You know, that was where I was. And, you know, my dad, he was in the military and he was in intelligence and you know, he, he kind of talked me into going. And I was thinking, you know, this would be a, uh, this this might be an interesting thing. I'll get an idea as to what, you know, an inside look at the government. So I got an inside look at the government, and you know, being an intel, you really get to see some some really wild, wild things. And 
you know, during Desert Storm, at one point I was asked to take a look at to what it was that put us there in the first place. You know, and, uh, and when you start looking at the history, uh, I mean, just even from the 70s, when we deposed the Shah of Iran, who was at the time our, uh, he, he was a thug, but he was our thug, you know, until all of a sudden he became like too big for his britches and we decided to like, you know, do something about that. And then uh, President Jimmy Carter, um, who ironically wins the Nobel Peace Prize, sends then head of the CIA, George H.W. Bush, over to broker a deal with Saddam Hussein to sell him chemical weapons and basically kicking off the Iran-Iraq war. You know, that, that, was, that was just, wow, you know, breathtaking. But, you know, through the 80s, and we have this country, Kuwait, who was drilling across the border into southern Iraq. You know, that was provable. And it was proven by then Saddam Hussein. He said, you know, this is what's happening. Well, the, um, the UN kind of laughed at him. And, you know, so did the cabinet, you know, um, that was surrounding Reagan and Bush. You know, and all these people all had stock portfolios, and all their stock portfolios were kind of dependent upon, you know, certain things remaining the way they were. So, you know, when, when you start looking at that and say, you know, you want to follow the money, one of the things that Homer said, follow the money. You know, these people's money is tied to sending the U.S. military over <laughs> to Iraq to, to keep things, to keep the status quo the way it was. And just, Wow. You know, it's like, how can you not look at that and say, this is right. This is good. This is how things should be. You know, um, and how I grew up always hearing about Desert Storm was we were like the heroes protecting Kuwait from, you know, Iraq, trying to advance on them. And they were the aggressor and we were the heroes stopping that from happening. So you think that analysis is is simple? We weren't exactly heroes, no. But, uh, you know, my job with what I did was basically trying to keep our people alive. Hmm. And um, that was how I look at it. That was how I, you know, justify doing what I did. You know, um, it, well, it, is, yeah. it is important, like, to, I guess, kind of address what Will has said. It ties it all back together. But you really do have to sell war to people because people are not favorable towards a draft. Like, the last time it was used was uh, Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't favored then. Uh, it wasn't really favored during World War II. It wasn't favored any time before then. Uh, you have to sell the war. It's a product that the government sells to its people that benefits itself. Um, and if and if people support the war, they have no problem with increasing taxes. And then they have no problem sending their child to go die on the altar of of the gods of war. The military industrial complex, yeah. You know, um, like I said, I, I got out in 1996, and um, and I never really looked back. And at the time, um, I was at the time I was thinking of either becoming an officer or getting out, and it was kind of interfering with my day job. At the time, I was wholesaling cars, and um, a lot of my uh, a lot of my work happened on that Saturday, you know, and one Saturday a month basically took one quarter of my income because that was when I bought cars was Saturday. 
Hmm. That was when most of the people were doing deals. That was when, you know, when I had the best shot at being there when when the deals were being were happening. So, yeah, 1996, I was I was ready to go, you know. And um, you know, fast forward, we see what's going on, you know, after the twin towers fell, and you know, we watched what was happening, and we knew that we were going to be sending military somewhere. And, uh, you know, when we sent them both to Iraq and Afghanistan, it was, wow, you know, it, it was, it was just difficult to watch. And, you know, family members were saying, Hey, I, I really want to join the military. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And, and I tell people to this day, no, you don't really want to join the military. Not at all. And, um, and I kind of explain why. You know, and some people understand it. Some people go anyway. And mm-hmm. to me, you know, as a veteran, every every year this this day rolls by, and I start thinking about, you know, what can we do to help put people's lives back together again? You know, we we send our people overseas to countries where we really don't need to be, and. You know, it's primarily because they're sold a bill of goods. And, you know, when when they go over, some of them come back with physical damage. Some of them come back with the damage that you can't see. You know, and then uh, they come back and they go to places like the VA for help. And when you go to the VA, you have to prove that you need help in order to get help. And the help that you get isn't really what you need. It's just something they say that they're helping you and it's you're a, a number on the list. It's a healthy dose of pills and shut the fuck up. We don't want to hear from <laughs> you again. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. like anyone, I, and, and that's maybe that's, that's my experience and people can tell me I'm wrong, but I think like organizations well, with like what Will's got going on with the, the veterans caucus. I mean, that shit does far more good than the VA could ever fucking dream of doing. I mean, uh, put people together. Absolutely. You know, when, um, I worked with Soldiers Angels. I worked with Wounded Warriors. I worked with World Team Sports. Um, team is an acronym for the Exceptional Athlete Matters. Um, one of the things that that group does is um, they call it Face of America. And it's a bicycle ride from, uh, well, we've done it from Gettysburg to Bethesda huh. or from Valley Forge to Bethesda. Do they still do that? Yeah, they still do that. That'd be that'd be cool. Huh. It, it is cool. You know, um, big, big group ride. Say again. A big group ride. It's a big group ride. You know, it's not a race. It's a group ride, and some of these guys who don't have the use of their lower limbs are riding hand cycles for the first wow. time. Wow! And the whole idea is to work with each other as a team and get everybody to the finish line. And in doing so, you're doing several things. One. You're telling them that you're telling these people that they're not alone in their struggles. And two, this is not an easy trip for anybody. You know, how many miles is it? It's uh, it's generally like 70 miles a day. Okay. Yeah. So it's like 140 miles total. Huh. And, um, you know, the, the other thing is that it's, it's physically demanding. And at the end of it all, they have a feeling of accomplishment, you know, like, even though there's something wrong, 
I can still do this. Look, I did this. And that means I'm not dead yet. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it really is a uh, it really is a neat thing. You know, and uh, the last time, well, the first time I did it, I was helping I was helping one of the guys on one of the hand cycles. Then um, the most recent time I did it, I was on a tandem with a pair of boots and a flag. <laughs> I was riding with the with a soldier, airman, sailor, who never made it home. Oh man! Yeah. Damn. Now that's hard. Riding seventy miles a day on a tandem bike. I respect that, dude. Good job. That was um. It was. I mean, there's some pictures on my profile on uh, on Facebook. If you want to see it, but. Are you a cyclist in general, or is it just for that event? Um, I was, you know, mo- mostly I was a cyclist in general. Uh, but at the time when I was uh, when I did the tandem, I hadn't been riding in like two years, <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was it was it was a tough ride <laughs> at that particular event. We went from Valley Forge, I think, to Gettysburg, and um, yeah, we 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 finished in the battlefield at Gettysburg. Wow. And that was uh, it was pretty intense. Riding through uh, through northern Chester County is is kind of hilly, and uh, you know, not only was I riding the tandem, but I was also helping uh, helping some of the hand cyclists on on occasion when I was able to. You know, it wasn't easy, but you know, on occasion. So, awesome. since it is Veterans Day, I would like to ask a question. Uh, this will be to both of you, fine gentlemen. Uh, so there is this, I guess, kind of debate within LP circles, right? Like whether or not you're supposed to be regretful for your military service or proud of it or all these other things. You can say whatever, but do either one of you regret your your military service and then why? Who wants to go first? Me? Go ahead, go ahead Steve. Yeah. So, no, I don't regret it. Because it's uh, it's part of it's part of the what made me who I am as a libertarian. It's what made me who I am as a man, as a, you know, as a human being. And you know, without that experience, I wouldn't have some of the answers to some of the questions that people ask. And you know, and another part of it is it gives me a level of empathy I wouldn't otherwise have as well. You know, for the people that serve and. You know, for the people that have experienced hardship that you can only experience in in certain career paths. So, yeah. So for me, I I don't think regrets the right word for how I feel. I don't think I regret anything I've done because, just like you said, Steve, it made me who I am and it, and it built me as a person. Um, but I definitely do carry a lot of guilt for some of the things that I've done, um, and I've never killed anybody. But, you know, there was a lot of things that I did that I shouldn't have and should have spoke up about, like sending bombs downrange and sending arms to Syrian rebels who probably became ISIS shortly after that. Um, so there's a lot of things that I think about now that I wish I would have been a lot louder about and wish I would have refused to participate in. Um, of course, that would have got me UCMJ'd. So, you know, there would have been a lot of different consequences. It would have changed the course of my life. Um, but I carry a lot of guilt for that. But still, nonetheless, I also carry a lot of pride for the things that I did, for the difficult things that I accomplished. Um, for all the great places I got to see and visit and the amazing, you know, machines and, and things I got to work with. So, um, you know, it's a little of both, but I would say definitely not regret. Nice. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Steve, you 
are running for U.S. Senate. I am. Do you want to? So <clears throat> I'm a, I'm a I'm a transition. This is gonna be smooth like butter, right? So what you can do? <laughs> play another fucking lyric video. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, play. <laughs> we'll play the Air Force song next. Um, oh man. <laughs> well, uh, so what you should do if you're watching this video now or listening on the audio version later or whatever, uh, go to Sheets S C H E E T Z for Senate F O R S E N A T E dot com and go and hit the donate button and dump your entire bank account into this man's uh, so he can help win his Senate race up in Pennsylvania. I don't know what the maximum limit is, but what you can do is if you hit that limit and then give someone else your debit card and let them, let them do it too. So (laughs) Steve, tell us a little bit about your opponent um, or whoever the incumbent is in this race. Is that, are you running against an incumbent or are you running against new opponents? We're, we're, we are all running for an open seat. Ah, okay. And there, there's a large number of people who have entered the race. Um, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Um, one of them happens to be the current sitting lieutenant governor. Um, I'm, I'm not really going to mention their name or, or who they are because you know there's there's really no point. It's it's this is about me and my race. You know? <laughs> yeah, don't don't send anybody to their websites. You're the yeah. only name they need to remember from this. Right, right. So, so what is what is your mission with this? What were the things in Pennsylvania that you had a problem with that made you want to get up to this extent and say, "Hey, I'm going to run for the U.S. Senate." Okay, so there's. That, that's actually kind of a complex question, and Perfect. yeah, there, there's there's several different there's several different aspects about this. So first off, um, I was the chairman of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania for the past couple of years, and I stepped back so I could run for U.S. Senate. And part of it is um, growing the party, strengthening the party, uh, bringing the message of libertarian to people. You know. Uh, as a, as a statewide candidate, I have the ability to reach people that we can't otherwise reach. And um, I can give that message, that libertarian message to people who otherwise wouldn't get it. And the other aspect about this is, you know, when it comes to down ballot candidates, you know, my job as a statewide candidate is to help people with ballot access, help people with their campaigns. And the reason for that is as I'm helping them, they're helping me as well. You know, we're all working together and we're all promoting libertarian and we're all promoting the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. This is this is going to serve to help all of our campaigns. This is going to serve to help the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania grow and become stronger, help our county affiliates grow and be stronger. It's 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 important and it's something that we need to do. The other part is giving that message you know we have a better message for like healthcare, for example criminal justice reform our foreign policy um you know, discussing issues when they come up like the cuban embargo mm-hmm. um, discussing things like the va you know we have better we have better answers for for the various problems because they're libertarian answers they involve actual solutions, not paying lip service to problems. Damn right. You know, it's uh, 
And, and some people don't necessarily want to hear the solutions, but yet a lot of people really are excited to hear solutions. Somebody's saying, hey, we can actually fix a problem instead of just saying we're going to fix the problem and not. So there's a lot of libertarians, you know, who are probably in the same situation that you are. They see the problems and they know that we've got the right solutions, but they're going to tell themselves it's not me. It's going to be somebody else who steps up and does this and runs for Senate and, and tries to seek that seat. So what do you say to them, the people who don't think they're ready? How did you decide that this was for you, that you were going to be the person to stake that torch? And how do you convince other people that they could be the ones to do the same? Well, I never really started as, you know, it isn't something that I just stepped up and said, hey, I'm going to run for Senate tomorrow. You know, I've been, I've been involved with, with the party for the better part of two decades, you know, as far as being in leadership is. Um, I've been a libertarian, you know, in philosophy and cause for, you know, over 30 years. So, you know, when I, when I talk about things, it's, it's coming from, this is, this is every fiber of my being. Hell yeah. You know, that it's coming from. It's not just, you know, what I heard or saw in a meme, you know? So my suggestion to people who are interested in trying things, you know, try helping with a campaign and try running for a local office and go, go to your township meetings. Listen to what your township supervisors have to say. Because I promise you this, if you don't walk out of a township supervisor meeting with a headache, you're not going to get facts. I don't know what the hell a township is, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's a small... I'm so, messing with you. Okay, good. Because I, you know... It's, <laughs> it's like we don't have townships in Oklahoma and Tennessee, but yeah, yeah, well, I, they I, use, I know the Northeast is weird. Yeah, they, they, they use parishes in Louisiana, so you know... True. Then this is this is why you never know. Yeah, and they do boroughs in New York, but uh, I mean, we have we have boroughs here, but you know, a borough is is not the same thing as as the borough in New York. The borough in New York is just like a subdivision of millions of people. A borough here is like a small town that's somewhat adjacent to a city. Like they call Norristown a borough, even though it's like thirty miles away from Philadelphia. <laughs> You know, it's just the way we call things is, is a little bit different in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So you're saying walking out of the uh, township meeting with a headache, so. Oh, yeah. Well, so, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of the people who are interested in seeing how these things work are going to look at that and say, you know, I can do it better, you know, or it needs to be done better. If it starts off with it needs to be done better, needs to go to that next bit of evolution. I can do it. Better. That's right. That's right. You know? um, another part is don't worry that you're not good enough. If you don't try and fail, you're never going to learn to be better. You know, um, that, that's, that's a good portion of it as well. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are looking at things and saying, this sucks and we need to fix it. So part of my job as I'm driving around the state and meeting people is to recruit people to step up and try and make things change. You know, one thing people, I've been I've been trying to talk more on is uh, you know, if if you see a problem, right? Like if 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 you're looking around and you're like, 
this is wrong. Someone needs to fix this. A lot of times that person that needs to fix it, and I think that's what you're saying, it's it's probably you. If you're the if you're the sole person looking around like this 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 shit isn't right, it's probably yeah. your job to fix it. It, it's against my better judgment because I still get comments to this day by one particular person. There is a uh, there's a story uh, that that I related in a speech, God, twelve years ago, and to this day I will never live it down. Uh, but basically, um, when I was leaving my development, where I was living in Levittown, when I would be leaving this development, I couldn't see to the north side, you know, where the traffic was coming from on Route 13 as I was trying to merge onto that road. And the reason why was because there was so much overgrowth there. And I'm like, somebody needs to cut this down. And I thought, I have a machete. Yeah. So on on one Saturday morning, I went down there, and I hacked all this, this, this area up so that when I drive out to the end of that area, I can look up to the north side of Route 13 up there, I know that I'm not going to get clobbered by the next semi coming down the road as I'm trying to merge on. And when I made, when I related this story, there's a dude who has been talking about Steve Sheets and his machete solution <laughs> for the next 10 years. And if he's hearing this right now, I'm sure there's going to be something on one of my posts about just that subject. And it's funny as hell, man. but um, yeah, it, Another another aspect of it, you know, I live on a non-designated street, and um, recently it was paved, but before it was paved for like years, it was just a dirt road. And every time there was a pothole in this dirt road, um, you know, I just get out with a rake and shovel and fix it. You know, and um, whenever there is a pothole somewhere else, get a get a bit of blacktop patch and fix that too. You know, um, we can take care of this stuff around our neighborhood if we're willing to step up and do it. And it doesn't really even take that much money or that much time. You know, um, but if you see something that you're complaining about, something that you're upset about, fix it. You know, um, I'll give you another. Uh, I'll give you another thing. This, this, this is kind of my thing for uh, for lifetime membership in the party. You know, so. Libertarian Party. In 2014, I became a national lifetime member. And part of the reason why I did that was because, well, people at national would do something that would irritate me. And I'd be like, I don't want to send my money to national anymore. You know? I hear that I'm, a lot. I'm, I'm just so sick of, of, of people at national doing things I don't like. And then it occurred to me that if I really want something to change – I should step up and fix it. You know, I became a lifetime member at that particular point. Um, basically saying that I can no longer rage quit that if I see a problem, I need to step up and freaking fix it. Hell yeah. The Libertarian party is my home. I did the same thing with the Libertarian party, of Pennsylvania. You know, we went from really touching on a, sorry to interrupt you, but you're really touching on just such a fundamental difference between libertarianism and mainstream politics and the establishment parties is, is their entire premise is based on the idea that whenever you see a problem, you find the right person to fix it. And libertarianism is about us doing it. And uh, I love your machete story. I think that's just the perfect <laughs> example of exactly what we should be doing. You know, we're the ones that we've been waiting on, but uh, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, you're right. You're right. So, um, 
you know, when I when I became chairman of the Libertarian Party, you know, part of it was assembling the right team. You know, you, you find people who are really good at different things and um, just having a plan to make things happen. Uh, that was that was basically what my job was, developing a plan, um, then selling that plan to everybody else. That was how I became elected to chair in Pennsylvania in 2019. Then um, that next that next board meeting, it was in person. It was in April. I got elected in, in March. Um, in the April board meeting, we had a large group of libertarians that showed up. And um, we went from having a website that didn't work to agreeing to take part in National Civic CRM. And um, then uh, we also agreed to this contract for an executive director. And once we approved that, we hired an executive director. And he's killing it. Oh, Oh, yeah. He's a good guy. Look, we have some really awesome people. You know, Kevin Godin is awesome. Jennifer Moore, our chair now. She's awesome. Um, and I have to say, in uh, 2017, she was the first Molten Maneuver candidate ever, right? The first, I'm sorry, what was that word? Molten Maneuver. Now, okay. Um, <laughs> Please uh, educate me. Fair enough. So there is this sweet spot um, where we find out uh, who wrote themselves in for various positions and what positions are still open where nobody is running. And then in that sweet spot, we have like four weeks, the greatest of all time indeed, sir. In those three to four weeks, we have the ability to recruit or we have to be able to recruit, get people on the ballot and then they can start campaigning. And 2019, we elected 47 libertarians that way. You know, um, Jennifer went at it wholesale, you know, and she's just really, this, this is, this is her thing, you know, being a, um, being a candidate, uh, being elected libertarian, you know, she's an elected auditor for township, um, getting other people to be elected libertarians, you know, that's her thing. And ballot access is definitely her thing. 2020, 2020, we wound up with uh, with a real difficult situation. You know, we were um, you know we were all locked down, and we couldn't go out and petition. People weren't answering their doors. People weren't really interested in getting close enough to us to grab our our clipboards in order to sign it with a, with a wet ink pen. You know, just because COVID was 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 a thing at the time. Sure. And um, you know, so we asked for relief. They refused us relief. We um, demanded it. They laughed at us. And we took them to court, and we lost. <laughs> and when we lost, we were left with like three and a half weeks. We had about a, we had about 1,100 signatures or something like that um, from what we were able to get uh, before the lockdown. And on primary day, I was able to get some. And, uh, you know, we had these three and a half weeks to get I don't know. We had to get like over 10,000 signatures raw because we needed a minimum of 5,000. And we knew 
that if we didn't get a significant, like if we didn't double that, we were going to get challenged and they were going to try and throw us off the ballot. So we wound up in three and a half weeks uh, getting 10,000, uh, God, like 10,300 some odd signatures, <laughs> a lot. And uh, the day that we were turning them in, it was just really, really amazing. Just, uh, just so many people stepped up, crawled out of the woodwork to help. Um, Jennifer was responsible for about 35%, I believe, of our, of our total signatures because she ran the paid petition drive. And if either of you guys know what it's like to run a paid petition drive, uh, God bless you. If you don't know, you don't want to know. <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world is the point. Uh, but she took care of that and uh, just really amazing. In fact, she did so well that National uh, recruited her to be on the National Ballot Access Committee just just from her performance on that. And then um, 2021, um, you know, like I said, I stepped down and she stepped up to be chair. And over the course of you know, the past few months, we managed to elect no less than 135, I believe, libertarians. So we have that going for us. We still have yeah. um, we're, we're, we still have yet to count all the write-ins, but that's where we are so far. Well, Steve, um, <clears throat> you've got SheetsForSenate.com. Is there anything else you'd like to plug, sir? Sheets for Senate.com is really what I'm really what I'm promoting right now. Um, we could talk about issues, but you know, I don't know how much time you have left and it might take a little bit of time to go through issues. Yeah, we, we don't have a whole lot of time left. Uh, we try not to compete with muddy waters. Not that we could, but we try not to. Fair enough. What do you Get some damn confidence, dude. I need you to believe in this podcast, but whatever. Well, right. we, we do have that meeting at 8. That uh, is tonight, Will. What meeting at 8? Oh, no, that's right. No, I'm sorry. You, uh, Well, it's that, that, that non-for-profit that we're, we've got going on that we oh. haven't formally announced. That We have so, a meeting for that. And, and I will eight. compete. I'll compete with Muddy Waters right now. People for Liberty is doing a live stream in uh, 10 minutes. And I'm going to be on that talking about the Veteran Caucus. So uh, forget Muddy Waters and forget the nonprofit you're talking about. Watch people for liberty. <laughs> well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on tonight. You're an awesome dude. You came highly recommended, uh, far more so than any government official. So <laughs> <laughs> I should hope. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Thanks yeah, for being on, man. Good luck Thanks for on the campaign. You got it. Thank you so much. <laughs> see you, bud. We'll see you. Oh, I cut him off. Sorry. <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> I fucked it up. It's all but, right, um, bro. It happens to you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It's, it's, it's it's the big brain moves. You gulag you. And no one can gulag you. Anyway. <laughs> So I, like I, I, I did want to spend a couple minutes, and I think this this does matter. Um, so, with it being Veterans Day, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about how great the United States is because it's 
It's still the greatest not. country in the world. It's the greatest. I would say, arguably, some of the greatest people in the world. Probably yeah, it's the greatest country of, in the world. One of the dumbest governments, though. I mean, most powerful, but I mean, dude, I don't, I don't know. I look at all the governments in the world. Most of them are ran by despots or dictators, you know. Um, and even the ones that are democracies aren't really. You look at other continents, even Europe, which is the most similar to us, is extremely tyrannical. I still think that we're the best place to live, period. But I'm we, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we are the last bastion of real freedom on the planet. Exactly. That's what we have going for us. Yep. But what, uh, what I wanted to kind of touch on is one thing that's near and dear to me and i'm sure you as well is uh <laughs> where would you rather live call me uh and, and capistan bro um is uh the we we as libertarians talk about ending wars and ending you know this military state that we try to that the government tries to push um and the important thing is, is remembering the 22 that do end up killing themselves, unfortunately, every single day. And it it's it falls to other veterans in the community to help those people. But it does fall to the American public as well. If you know someone who who's struggling, who's, you know, prior service and they don't seem right, you don't have to relate to them on everything. Just being able to listen to them and talk to them like a lot of us won't open up to civilians, but maybe find someone else that can reach out to them, you know, doing something is far better than nothing. Um, and that's kind of where I'm going to go with that. It's just, it's, there does need to be more that comes out of this. Um, we don't have to agree with the wars, but we do have to understand that veterans are just as victim, just as much of victims of the system as anyone. So, it's a great point, man. But uh, what people should also do is go to Steve Sheets or SheetsForSenate.com, uh, donate some money. Awesome dude. Uh, and then whenever the Libertarian Party Veterans Caucus website comes up, they should donate money there too, right? Um, We're waiting on the IRS to approve our nonprofit status, but they've, Acknowledge that they received our application, so that should be coming. But yes, um, the caucus website is in my hands now, and so it should be up in the next week or two. So yeah, we'll we'll give that a we'll give that a plug whenever the time comes for sure. But watch oh. me on People for Liberty, and a ton of other veterans are on tonight in about five minutes. So I uh, yeah I uh, I will be in South Carolina this weekend. So if you will be at the South Carolina State Convention on Saturday. Uh, and you're like, hey, I want to meet that crazy dude that talks about guns and drinks a lot. Uh, I will be there. I'll probably be the lowest rated person there. But the but highest reaching person there. That's okay. Lowest rated, but highest <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally the highest reaching person. <laughs> Unless I was with you, because I'm always the highest person in the room, for the record. <laughs> uh can confirm um, <laughs> i i haven't got high on a podcast in months i've been extremely good so just you know give me a break should. i think mm-hmm. you should do it mm-hmm. one day. no i this it would be i used to do it when we had rich on the show and i would just be sitting there like completely zoned out just watching you guys talk and have no idea what was going on so no, I'm cool. <laughs> i like to make i like to invest in the show's presentability 
So I, I sacrifice. You're welcome. Thank you for well, my service. Yeah. So did you want to do one last thing? I didn't get to talk to you about it this week, unfortunately. But one thing um, I wanted to do and I wanted to bring back and maybe do it every week is I have a banjo that I'm looking at across the room. And if you have your copy of the Royal Grain, you could read a paragraph while I pick my can banjo you, a little Can bit. you pick a banjo? Well, dude, now we're going to do a duet of Wagon Wheel next episode. No, okay. I didn't say I know a lot about banjos. I, like, literally just recently started. First of all, that's not a banjo. That's a banjo mandolin. Or that, what is that called? That's a mandolin. Yeah, that's, that's not a banjo. banjo. No, it's, it's a, too small. It's, well, this this is a a travel size banjo. It was much cheaper, but it still has the same tune. And it's and it's it's fucking funny watching a giant dude hold a very tiny banjo. Pick it. Let's hear it. Okay. So, I've been I've been I think let's just hear your rendition of that because I gotta go soon but this is beautiful I hope you commit you know what's cool about banjos is they're already in the G chord without putting any any fingers on it so it already sounds pretty good without even needing to know how to play um, yeah took me about an hour to tune it <laughs> yeah I bet and it's, it's still out of tune by the way I'm sure it is <laughs> sounds good though man but I gotta well, roll brother yeah uh, we got that meeting. So, um, if you'd like to hear me poorly play banjo and will read, uh, drop some information in the comments and blow us up this week and say we want shitty banjo playing and will reading. Do it, and we will ignore those comments. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, attack helicopters and AR-15 people. We love you, and uh, Steve Sheets is not a real libertarian.